All right, listen up. We are back for another episode of the Construction Mentor Podcast. My name is Ike. I am your host. You can follow me on Instagram, TikTok, at the Construction Mentor. You can catch this podcast on Spotify, Apple, or YouTube. Um, type in at the Construction Mentor on YouTube. You'll find it there. Today, we're going to get back into the interview format with somebody who once upon a time interviewed me. It's Blue Collar Bobby from uh, the, he's the co-host of the Dope and Tape podcast. And we brought him in here today. We're just going to get right into it. I we want to talk about sprinkler work. What is sprinkler work? I don't think a lot of people, a lot of young people realize that it's even a trade, right? They realize that there's sprinklers in buildings and in, in Hocus Pocus and in other movies when, you know, shit hits the fan, those things go off. And that's about all they know, right? What they don't know is that no matter what city, no matter what market you're in, sprinkler, fire, fire life safety systems, sprinkler systems are one of the highest paid trades, usually the highest paid trade in any market. I know it is in Boston where, where Bobby's at. Um, but again, blue collar, Bobby host of the dope and tape podcast, go check that on, on YouTube and, uh, Bobby, why don't you tell, oh, and blue collar, Bobby at blue collar, Bobby on Instagram, uh, Bobby, what do you make? What, what are the guys in, in Boston making, uh, in the fine, after the fine school of fit and sprinklers, uh, as a foreman, you're, you're going to make 72 bucks. Is that in the check? That's take home. That's take home. And what's, what's the, the benefits check? after that? The benefits. So we're at, uh, we're right around like 112, 100 and say 112 ish. Yeah. Full how many people, how many people know somebody that makes about $112? That's like 224 grand a year in the whole package. That's before an ounce of overtime. And oh, by the way, 144 grand to take home if you're a foreman. I think it's 136 grand to take home before overtime. Uh, if you're not a foreman, so yeah, you're right on it. So it's, uh, it's, and that's like in four or five years time too, you get in, you learn, you start at 28 bucks knowing nothing. No, you could, you could know nothing. You could literally not even know what a bandsaw is. You don't need to know what an impact is. You show up and you just say, what do you want me to do boss? 28 bucks. Yeah. 28 bucks, which is 56 <laughs> grand a year. If you can't catch on to the math guys, you multiply it by 2000, whatever you make per hour. And that's how you get the salary for 50 weeks. Right. Uh, so that's one of the biggest trending words on YouTube. Right. I don't know if you've been playing with the keywords, but uh, construction job, no degree or no experience. And Bobby just told you that you make twenty eight dollars <laughs> showing up day one. Twenty eight dollars an hour. That's that's that, that, that's, the, that's the union rates. And you get like, a, you know, it's like a three or four dollar raise every six months for for the five years until you journey out. That's crazy. And what's crazier is Bobby's story, which he's going to share it in a second. But um, what is a sprinkler fitter? Like, what are people doing day to day? They're breaking their back. I, I don't know if you just saw it yesterday, but in the last two days, I posted something that went viral. And there's people arguing in the comment section, uh, basically claiming that every single construction job is backbreaking. It's in cold weather or hot weather. And it's just about the most dangerous thing you can do. You're trashing your body. Um, what exactly does a sprinkler fitter do day to day? Physically. We don't do anything with lawn. We're not doing irrigation. I'm not protecting your grass. Um, yeah, so <laughs> lawn sprinklers save your grass. Fire sprinklers save your ass. So the first thing is everyone thinks that whoever doesn't know, they think we're doing like lawn sprinkler. Like, what do you do in the winter? So fire protection, you got pipes. They, they cover every square inch of the entire building. And they're there to put out a fire whenever it happens, if it happens. And they don't all go off at the same time. They go off by heating element one at a time wherever the fire is and they're designed to keep up with said fire 
per hydraulic calculations of fire pump right. or the demand, you know. Smart people figure that out. Yeah, right. But and hydraulic that... calculations would be like a mechanical engineer would design that for, you know, water flow and water pressure inside of a pipe to make it go off, right? One, we'll figure one out the pipe sizes and how long it takes you to get there and how many elbows you got to take and all that. And there's people that figure that mm -hmm. out. And then that's how you determine the pipe size and if you need a pump or not. And uh, listen, there's pipes. They have to go to every room. We're bringing pipes to every room. It's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. But the back breaking, um, the back in the day, yeah. Back in the day, for sure, um, you know, if you're thinking of your grandfather's or even maybe your father's, but now it's like it's smarter, it's not harder. We got chain falls, we got lulls, we, you know, everything. You got the safety guys making sure you're not going to get hurt. And you should be making sure you're not going to get hurt too. But there's people there yeah. are there looking yeah. for that now. Uh, but you you could get hurt. There there's people that will overdo themselves, and I, I feel you have more of a danger of getting hurt than if you were in, in an office protected all day. But, sure. Um, yeah. I mean, I think there's a, there's no doubt about that. I mean, the, the stats are still, you know, overwhelmingly, you know, more dangerous, I guess we would say in construction, but to your point, like when he says chain fall, these are basically rigs. It's almost like a rope and pulley, but with, with chains that lift up, you know, heavy pipe. Like, that's it. Like Bobby's not encouraged to pick up a three, a four inch, you know, 10 foot stick of pipe on his own. But you like, do have guys that will. And in the heat of the yeah. moment, sometimes there right. you got like heroes and that's where you get hurt. But, uh, you know, if you got a three or 400 pound valve, for instance, and it's got to go 29 feet in the air. I mean, you could, you could try to be a hero if you really want to. I'll just, I'm going to get the chain fall. We're going to set an anchor and we'll put it out there like gentlemen. And nobody's going to get hurt. We'll go home the way we showed up. That, that, that's yeah. got to be the way that it was bid. That's the, you got to, you got to do it the safe way. Right. And if you didn't know, Bobby's a gentleman. If you couldn't tell by his mustache, he's absolutely a gentleman. Um, <laughs> um, so in my, most of what you're doing, I mean, you're not really, you don't weld, right? You, nope. you, you order pipe to length. It comes out to length. You, you thread it or maybe you, um, what are they called? A lot of, a lot of my stuff I'm doing on the, site. Uh, yeah. But if you were on like a big, if we were on a high rise, I'm not, mostly every piece of pipe is going to come out. You're not going to mm -hmm. have like the downtime of trying to cut it back to size or whatever. You just order it because you're always something to move on to. There's always something that you can move, pivot, stay productive, mm -hmm. order the piece, comes out tomorrow, go back to that. Whereas where I am right now, I'm on a fab on site where they sent me a print. Mm -hmm. I'm, go, I'm last in. I got bulk pipe, mechanical tees, and I got to put it in amongst everybody else. And they gave me a... Uh, suggestion on where to go so that's nice. like uh i have a hydraulic cutter hydraulic groover and we're taking measurements and we're cutting and we're as we go we're trying to get uh as many straight pieces as possible obviously in a line right again hydro the word hydraulic it's all about uh pressure and using other people's brains to save your muscles and save your back to to get the hard stuff done the tools um, have come a long way man the tools. I, I don't think people understand that. Like you, you look at some of these tools and I, even the tools that are coming out and it's almost like people, um, especially the older guys, they like poo poo them or they're like, they roll their eyes at them. And it's like, Oh, back in my day, you know, like <laughs> I, I get that in my comments. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you saw the thing. I, I forget what company's putting it out, but I, I think you might've shared it. It was the guy who it's like a crane almost that like ties around your belt. that goes up your back over you, over the front of you. And it <laughs> like has an exoskeleton thing. Yeah. It's like an exoskeleton <laughs> thing that like lifts up heavy things. Oh, it lifted up a, um, 
uh, a hammer drill, like a huge yeah, hammer drill. I've seen that. For a yeah, guy I, to, I yeah. think I did share that. <laughs> yeah. So literally, the guy doesn't even have to lift it. He just kind of <laughs> has to like lean forward. It takes a lot of the pressure off. Yeah. So how long have you been in in sprinkles? So junior year of high school ended. We got that break before senior year starts. I did sprinkler every day through that whole summer working at UMass Amherst. I was hired as uh, as, as temp summer help working directly under my father. Father picked the job I was going to. He picked the people I was going to be working under. Um, I wasn't 18, so I shouldn't have been working. But So that time didn't count. But I learned a lot during that time. And Well, I counted for that. And instead of, and so I also lost a lot of sleep that summer because all my buddies were partying. It was, that was junior year summer. That was like beach mm. week. And so I was like working all day and then catching up with everybody all night and still trying to get to work. You know, I had to, I had to get to work because Pops was bringing me. So, so then finished high your school. Father, and, your father was a sprinkle fitter. That was his. Yes, his sir. Gig. And my grandfather. Oh, so sprinkling uh, fittings in your blood. Third generation third generation sprinkler fitter wow yeah it's definitely in your blood you got going early oh yeah so but so since uh june 2008 full-time since full-time since and i graduated in high school june 2008 june 2008 okay so you're as old as me we graduated at the same time um yep so when you were a kid you know junior high ish i mean was it a foregone conclusion your future was fit in pipe or what were you like as a kid in junior high and high school I knew for a fact when I turned 18, I was going to have to be a sprinkler fitter. And so I went to, um, are you from, are you from Massachusetts? Yeah, I'm South Shore. I went to high school in Brockton. I grew so up in Abington. I went to Lemister High School. I think we used to yeah. smoke you guys in football. <laughs> well, I went to a small <laughs> Catholic school, so <laughs> Brockton High. Yeah, I don't know, Brockton. Yeah, Brockton. We used to like face Brockton yeah. and Everett. Um, it was a vocational school. And so they, okay. and that's another, that's another thing I talk about a lot on, on our podcast is that you won't find sprinkler or fire protection in a vocational school. So I was forced to go through the plumbing trade just because the plumbing trade has all the tools I needed to get acquainted with. And that mm. was, that was kind of part of the plan. Like I knew I was going to Lemus high school. I knew I was going to go to the plumbing trade. And so by the time what I got out of high I... school, I already knew fitting allowances and how to thread pipe. And I knew how to pull wrenches and have good leverage. And I had uh, my OSHA 10, right? Like you get that in the vocational school. Now they need 30 back then you only need 10. How important uh, or what, how important was the opportunity that vocational school was for you at that age? I mean, how, how much did it put you ahead of all the other people that you see coming into your trade now, which again is so, the most high. So far, trade. so far. Well, being 18 years old so far, because you get guys that come in at 25 or 30 and they're, you know, they're, they're on the money. They, they pick it up quick. They're listening, they're paying attention. But when you get like an 18 year old, that's never held a pipe wrench before in his life. Hmm. That's like a little bit of a learning curve or how to stand on a ladder, you know, you don't want to put, you don't want to set up right okay. under. That's everybody's thing. They put the ladder like directly under, like you got, you got some reach. You also got some lean. So you want to be, you want that ladder back yeah, right. a little bit. So um, that was things that I got to learn in high school. Yeah. I, I, it's almost like, you know, you could be like 20 years old and you're an adult. Right. But the first like 12 years of your life didn't count because like, you don't really know, like your life only starts when you become to a certain like conscious consciousness level. Right. So your first couple of years in the industry, uh, you don't know what you're doing. People are going to be joking, making jokes about going and getting a board stretcher and getting a bucket of steam from the, from the van and stuff. But like I was that. like, so, the, I was like the boss's kid. 
Right. So how did he treat um, you? Where did you get it easier or harder than everybody else? Well, like I didn't get like the bucket of steam and all that. Like the dude, the guys were, were good to me. All the guys were good to me. No one was, no one was really screwed with me there. And, uh, my father made sure that I was learning. Hmm. You put it that way. Like I was, I was learning every day. Um, it wasn't always like nice and, and rainbows and, and fun. Like if I fucked up, I heard about it. And my, and my, my mother was in, my mother was kind of part of the business too. So when I say that my father's a sprinkler fitter, and then I say my grandfather, everybody assumes it was my father's dad, but it was my, my dad met my mother and my mother's dad was the sprinkler fitter. Oh, really? And so then my father came into the business that way. And so, yeah, that, that, that's a, that's a key thing. Was he, uh, was it one of those situations where he's like, you're going to take care of my daughter, you're going to provide for and if you don't have a better way here's a wrench <laughs> that's it yeah, yeah you're gonna you know, join join the family business so he was able yeah. to learn directly from him and he you know my grandfather ran his own business then my father had the opportunity to get into a, a nice big company out of marlboro at the time okay <clears throat> so i think you know you, you touched on two things that can make all the difference in a young person's life. You know, a, a lot of people and i'm sure you probably got crap for it you probably heard about it like did you get crap for going to a vote tech when when you were when you were younger or did you hear other kids making fun of it so our the lemons high school was actually both it was it was uh i don't know how however it's considered but it, it had both so i had friends that were in high school with me i graduated with that didn't do trade and sometimes okay. you could you would you would see them in the hallways they were still there they just didn't mm-hmm. you could opt out of it gotcha okay but um to answer your question uh yes like you, you were looked you were looked down on you know like we were in dirty jeans and, and untied boots and we were driving around in short buses like the way that it worked where we were is every every class literally had a short bus and like they would get a permit the carpenters would frame it with their teacher uh, we would we would plummet um it, we were the electricians would would wire it and we would build a house and we would sell it to like, habitat for humanity for instance or it was like a right. low cost house that we got to learn. And there we are like driving away from the school in our short buses. And it says like the plumbing shop. So you really like, yeah, everyone, <laughs> ra- everyone ragged on us. <laughs> How could you yeah, not? But not only, at the not same only. time, they're like, they're sitting in like AP algebra or whatever that's worth. And we're going to donkeys right now. <laughs> yeah. So not only, um, we probably made fun of and looked down on for being the dirty kids in the jeans and the boots, but you were on a short bus. So, <laughs> on the short bus, yeah. <laughs> uh, and now, so for, for the young people out there that, you know, are thinking about maybe even going into a high school or going into a trade school after high school, cause they missed the opportunity to get the vote tech education in high school. Um, what do you make compared to some of your friends that were in AP algebra? Yeah, I mean, it depends on like their major and what they got into. But I know that you know right off the bat, I was making money with. I, I had no, I had no debt to. I, I guess I can't say I had no debt because I mean I was buying shit. Well, yeah, <laughs> you had no debt from education. You had I showed from... up to the bank and I would show them, I would show them my sprinkler paycheck, and I'd be like, yeah, like I live in my parents' basement for free, and they'd be like, like I could get any loan. So I was like, I had. Yeah two motorcycles, a truck, a, a Mustang, like I just, you know, car collector. So I had debt that way, but immediately right. earning money. And I think before, before I even had my journeyman license, I had made a hundred grand. Like I, in my, in my third year as an apprentice, I was able to make, uh, I was able to gross a hundred grand that year. 
Yeah. So 21 years old, 20 years Before old. Before I was even licensed in the state. Yeah. And that's, um, and for anyone with their head sideways, um, it, it, that was because of Massachusetts prevailing wage. So I spent the whole, mm-hmm. I spent that whole year on, on, uh, you know, fourth tier rate or fifth tier rate, whatever you consider it. And I was on the state rate making like 60% of, you know, b- big money for, for living at home at the time. Yeah. So prevailing wage, for those of you who don't know, that's when um, basically you're either on a union job, which I know you're in now, but you were not then. But even if you're in a non-union job, when you get on a job that's funded by the state, has federal state funding, uh, usually there's you know Davis-Bacon law or prevailing wage law that sets a minimum rate. And for the non-union guys, they love those jobs because <laughs> their hourly wage can like double, basically. Right? Uh, triple. Triple. We were, okay, we, yeah. were tri- we were tripling like our wage and uh, the company that I worked for at that time, that's all that they did. We were doing like the courthouses and the schools, the high schools, the middle schools, um, all that stuff. And that's all state funded. And so it would be right. those are the jobs where it's interesting because we were obviously the non-union and like the brickies would be union. The carpenters would be union. Mm-hmm. And then you got one of them jobs that's like mixed, which got to be hard for a GC, I'd imagine. Mo- for the most part, you get along, but there's always there's yeah. always a little clash when the trades. Uh, some trades have to work together in certain aspects of the job. Now, how'd you jump from union to non-union? What was that conversation like in your head? How did that come about? So it was a little bit of. I feel like I, w- I was good at what I was doing, so I got put on a, a good job, which was in the jurisdiction of the local that I'm in right now. And we were at the time, the only non-union shop on that job. So we were right in their jurisdiction. I guess they, they had just, they had just missed it um, for whatever reason. And I was there. I was like a brand new, I was pretty brand new. I was a journeyman foreman and I had a brand new apprentice. He was like maybe a year in and we were doing this entire middle school all by ourselves. Versus the verse, like all these union guys. And mm-hmm. so as a sprinkler fitter, I got to work uh, really close with electricians. They do all the fire alarm. They wire all my devices, everything that uh, we mm-hmm. use, they have to wire. So I knew I had to like, at, at the very minimum, be friends with them. But it was hard with uh, the tin knockers and the pipe fitters. And we were able to like befriend the the plumbers. It was cold and we didn't have a shack. I never knew about a shack. In the non-union, you never heard about a shack. And then I get on this union job and we're, we're freezing and we're sitting in our personal cars and we're dragging in our personal tools. And these guys are in like these plywood rooms with uh, heaters and all this. And the plumbers would let us sit in there after they, after they, like we, they would see us suffering in the cold and they'd be like, you, we can come in and warm up. And then we were able to sit with them. And then, then the organizer was showing up uh, one day at the, at, literally at the bottom of my ladder. You mean the union organizer, like a, like a recruiter came basically. Yep. And, and uh, uh, stood on your, stood I mean, on your he, ladder. He, he looked up to me and he said, uh, "Where's your foreman?" And I said, "And I'm like, I'm I'm the foreman." I remember my first thought is he was a safety guy. And uh, <laughs> man, the, hard hat, the, guy. The, the hard the hard hat drives me nuts, so it's it's like rarely on. But <clears throat> he said he was, you know, he's with the 550, and they were looking for people. And he told me how, you know, we were in the jurisdiction and we just met it and this and that and. So when I had told my father about that, Pops was like, you got to jump both feet, call this guy in the morning. And so that was really? that. the rest. The rest was history. And I was the first. Usually, usually like the old school non-union guys are kind of like anti-union. Uh, Pops, Pops knew. 
uh, I remember before I even got in, he always had talked about 550 and it being the dream. And but it was hard if you didn't know anybody. Yeah, it's th- we have a sign up process now that I've, that I've learned about. Every June you can sign up. Mm-hmm. We, I think we take 20, maybe 30 people <laughs> a year. But there's like a lot of people that sign up. There's a lot of people that want to get in. So you're fighting against thousands sometimes. So that's important, right? Um, a lot of people don't realize that to get into the union, you basically have to this one time a year to sign up like a local 537 pipe fitters. And I think maybe the 223 laborers is January. Every January is the only month that you can go to the hall and sign up. What Bobby just told you is that if you want to be a sprinkle fitter in the city of Boston, that's in June. If you are in another city, where you're interested in any kind of a union, don't just expect to just apply anytime. <laughs> go go online, figure it out. Right. It's all public information. And you could show up and want to apply, and they'll probably humor you with an application. But now, other um, than other than we, gotta, we and it go, it's not just like being salty or whatever. I can explain it. It's because all the we have an apprenticeship program, and the apprenticeship program starts mm-hmm. at a certain time. And if you don't get hired at this certain time, then you won't be with with the program and if you pick people up earlier you pick people up late then it's just uh you know you want everybody to learn and progress through the program together we have a, a state-of-the-art school where everybody can learn mm-hmm. you take classes uh after work and there's valves and a fire pump and it's in weymouth yeah so you're going to to school while while you work a couple nights a week uh, which isn't bad because you're not paying for it well i guess you pay for it in dues but um you know you're making a lot of money while you do it now you said some one thing that a lot of people object about, and it's that you got to know somebody to get in, right? It's and tough. I think, I think um, a lot of trades, you know, if one's not available, a lot of trades are like advertising for people to come in. They don't have enough people walking in the door. And maybe you guys might have so many people coming in because of how much you guys get paid. <laughs> I mean, you are, you are head and shoulders above a lot of other trades. Um, What's another way? I mean, I know like in 537, my dad always had people coming in and driving a van for a year or two. And that's another good shop. way. That's right. uh, that's probably this. I'd say um, number one way would be like an uncle or your someone's son or, you know, mm-hmm. it, that that does help as much as someone says it doesn't. It definitely it definitely helps. Military helps. Um, Military. So, helps. Then, so then the, the big things and the elephant in the room is always like minority mm-hmm. city resident. Uh, female, like we'll go way ahead of the list. All those things. City resident, I think, being probably the most important because it's so expensive to live in Boston. It's hard to find city residents. And mm-hmm. if you have that, sit every job that we're on requires those. So if you it, say you have a, a mm-hmm. sprinkler, a sprinkler crew is usually only two or three people, and we're required right. to have a, 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 a city resident, a female, um, minority. There's there's all stipulations. So. That's that's another way to get in where you just show up every June and sign up and you just keep knocking on the door and you, you right. just let them rem- remember your face. So there's two ways that I that I would suggest to do it. Either obviously, you know, somebody or literally go in the phone book, call every single company and ask for a job either in the shop or driving a van, driving, right? driving a van. A van oh, you're, yeah. you're 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 a gopher. You go for this, go for that. Go to the go to the supply house for a bunch of, you know, elbows or dope and tape or whatever. Um, and <laughs> right, wrong or indifferent not here to talk politics, not here to talk affirmative action or anything like that. The truth of the matter is there is a narrative out there that women and minorities are not welcome into the industry. That isn't true. Not at all. Uh, if anything, and, and that they'd get blackballed on getting into these unions, if anything, 
you will go to the front of the list. If you, if, if you don't look like me and Bobby <laughs> and it's you want to make $140,000 a year, go into whether it's this union hall or another one, go in there, right? We can all benefit from more people earning that kind of money. We want you to go in, go in. Okay. Um, and what you're saying about the truck driver thing, that's, that's spot on. That'd probably be the second way to go is you get with, you'd be the truck driver for one of these union shops for a year or two. And you, that's it. And you, and you still sign up, you're still signing up, but that's a great way to get in. And then, uh, the way that I got in was they, it was at time of full employment. So the bench is empty. There's no one on the bench hmm. for anyone who doesn't know what the bench is. You go, when you get laid off, you go to the, the theoretical bench and you wait for work. And so when the bench is empty, if a company calls and needs a guy, we we're, we're able to call local six, six, nine and see if we can pick up some guys. And if they're completely busy, which is when I got in, then they'll hire. They'll then they'll go look for the best non-union guys they can find. Right. Right. And typically, it's going to be like a smaller company because they're going to want like the whole company to come. In our right. case, so that's they, what happened. So basically, when yeah, when when you're a union shop, say you got ten guys, they're all busy. You need an eleventh guy. By union rules, you have to go to the union for more guys, and they'll give you more guys. Yep. When the union doesn't have any more to give you, you can go to another union, and if they don't have, and usually, you know, like. I think Cambridge is usually one union. Boston's usually another union. And then you get Worcester's another union. So when those guys are out, don't have anybody available, then you're allowed to go recruit. That's how Bobby got in. Yep. Um, and and so how long you been in the union? That way. I got in in 2014. 2014. Okay. Now. Coming up on 10 years. Coming up on 10 years. That's pretty good. And when do you think you're getting out? I don't know. I'll probably have to work till I'm like 90 at this rate. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, to pay for all those toys that you bought? <laughs> no. I traded all the toys for the house. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. You're supposed to do 30 in the union, right? If if, if all goes well. Yeah. If yeah, all which goes is well. Bad. So 30, that'd, be, so that'd be what? That'd be 20, 10 years uh, in. I'm 34. 55. 54. 55. That's not bad at all. Yeah. No, not at all. Yeah. And I mean, you're making more than my father ever made. And my father's sitting in uh, Florida. And on his pension and annuity alone, I think he's getting 120 and whatever handyman stuff, mowing lawns or whatever he's doing down there right now. Oh, that's he's awesome. Make, I think at three days a week, I think, I think he's going to make like, like 140 grand. Yeah. <laughs> 65 awesome. years old, collecting, and now he gets to collect Social Security. My dad's doing fine. Yeah, and, the pension and the annuity is big. It's big. And that's, uh, you know, that's the driving factor is the pension and the annuity. Yeah. The only thing that you can't do when you are retired and my dad refuses to do um he can't touch hvac systems because he was a pipe fitter big 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 dono big dono <laughs> yeah you're, so. yeah you're like forbidden from you can do anything else but um yeah. compete compete yeah so you could right? do electrical work you could do hvac you just can't touch a sprinkler system i could right? i could like legally right now start a plumbing business or an electrical business but like if i were to go and move one head on the side big illegal don't do that yeah you're like yeah, your, Stay your retirement, your retirement's yeah. gone. See ya. Uh, <laughs> yeah, don't do, don't do that. Don't do that. But yeah, um, a lot, of, a lot of guys do that. Like, so we had, I know of a guy who stopped. He made a, uh, a core. He started a core company, like Corn Holes. Really, sprinkler fitter turned union core guy. That's Pretty a random cool. task. To yeah, that's a high like, uh, task. Yeah, it's big though. Like, especially it must be worth it though. And you get like this big, if you got like a, uh, we came across a 40 inch slurry wall 
uh, we needed a 12 inch hole cut through it. Like you ain't, you're not just a normal guy doing that. No, that's a big, that's a uh, big old bit. <laughs> actually con concrete cuttings big down in Florida. Um, and basically what he's talking about when he's talking about coring is, you know, when you build a building, you see all these concrete pads go up, all these, all these floors that are made out of concrete. And then you have pipes and everything running through them. Well, everything that runs through them, they don't always plan for that ahead of time. <laughs> or the building's been there for 200 years or whatever. And there's a bunch of concrete and you need to literally poke a hole in it. Uh, that's what coring is. So somebody made a business out of it. Yeah. Um, now, when you, when you go back um, to the beginning, you made some some mistakes, right? Oh, yeah. Back in uh, your early 20s. I mean, it, you came out of high school. You're 20, 21 years old. You're making a hundred grand. You're buying all the toys, which I think is a huge problem, right? I, I it's almost like the military when they tell the military people not yeah. to buy a truck, not to buy a car with the check that three. you and you back from Iraq, right? <laughs> it's like construction people have the same problem. My I know God. so many people that, you know, they get the pontoon boat, they get the fucking quad, they get the motorcycle, they get like trucks, everything. Man. Um, and the other problem that we have in the industry is obviously drinking and doing drugs. Yeah, I did that for many years. Very bad. And uh, <laughs> very, very bad. Very, I, was the very bad. I was the designated driver and I was I was uh, uh, the designated drunk driver. Was that? Yeah, so I, more, I probably could have paid a lot more. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just like, I feel like it's just like, it's like, uh, shit, I'll probably catch flack for it. But it's like the American thing, man. Like I was just, I was trained to drink like in high school. Like you're just like. It's America. I don't know, everything I was doing, I was mm -hmm. drinking. Anytime, uh, I was drinking for everything, man. Everything was drinking, and then you, and then you're chasing a bag at the end of the night. And uh, I was always driving. I, and I got a I got a DUI, crashed my dad's truck. Um, luckily, I got the bag out the window. Luckily, I got the bag out the window, but um, yeah. pops didn't get his truck back. And you know, I I got a DUI. I got a DUI that night. That was 2011. So you were 21. It I was 22. 22. It was when you really yeah. started making money. Yeah, yeah. I was really spending money. You were really spending Man, money. I was, I was sliding that card anywhere. Whatever. It doesn't matter. What's the tab? Who cares? Fucking, we were sliding that thing. And uh, yeah, just reckless. Reckless driving. Uh, I had a Yamaha. R I had a 2000, uh, 2007 Yamaha R1 Raven. With the with the special sprockets and the special tire and the, and the, and the pipe and and that thing was fast <laughs> and I would be Dude. and I would go I would go to the bar on it and, uh, That's and, and it was, it was and nobody you know, ever pulled you over <laughs> they were not catching me oh you on just the screw. On, you I would never stop on them I would would never stop on the bike so I <laughs> did much of the same I flipped my truck over when I, I was seventeen. And yeah, and uh, almost died in the ambulance, almost bled out the whole thing. Um, and, you know, I, I think you and I, we have we had a very parallel uh, upbringing in Massachusetts where, you know, everything revolved around drinking and whether you went to college or, or whatever, 18, 19, 20, it was an extension of the same thing. And then when you get into the construction industry, it is further an extension of that. I mean, heavy, heavy, heavy drinking in the construction industry. <sighs> Oh, yeah. with a lot of the older guys it's almost like a rite of passage lunch Friday time. for the guys lunch yeah lunchtime <laughs> thursday is friday for the guys right oh yeah sully's tap on thursdays 
So at least tap on Thursdays. So I didn't, I often. didn't quit, I didn't quit drinking until uh, 2019. So I had my son 20, I got married 2015. I had my son 2016. I like that, that definitely put a damn. I didn't, I wasn't going out. Like I wasn't um, going out and doing the crazy gallivanting. And I sold the motorcycle before mm-hmm. I got the house, but I was still like, I could come home and drink a, a liter of Jameson, like nothing. Mm. You know, everyone's home, everyone's safe, but I'm, I'm drinking a liter of Jameson tonight. And right. I probably had, I probably had uh, four tall boys at lunch. <laughs> pretty, so, pretty normal. That, 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 yeah, that was normal. And like, uh, yeah. I, I, I would wake up at four 30 and like, do it again. Like I wasn't like that guy that would show up and say I was hung over. Cause I didn't want, <laughs> I didn't want the guys at work to think that like, when someone sh- shows up and they say that they were out all night drinking, you automatically expect them to not give you anything, right? They automatically like, oh, yeah, yeah this guy's not going to perform. So I would never – I remember saying that once and getting a reaction from Foreman saying that uh, – he's like, oh, what do you think? You're like – you're 75% like today or something? And I was like, I'm probably like – I'm probably like 50% today. He's like, all right, I got you. But at the end of the day, you're going to give me 50% of your pay if I got to pick up your slack. There's only two of us, and we're a team. And so if you're only 50%, that means I have to pick that up. And then I never forgot that. So then uh, I was 100% anytime he ever asked that question again, whether I was on no sleep or two hours of sleep or whatever it was. You know, it's funny. I th- when when I came in, it was almost like a badge of honor. It was like part of the challenge, right? Like you go out for lunch with the guys on a Thursday or Friday, and maybe you go back to work, maybe you don't. And it was like you drink all night all the way till you know, you close down bitty early's. And God knows, you know, where you went in Chinatown after that. But no matter what, you were on site the next day, 100% ready to go. And it was like, it was, it was all part of it. Like you want to drink with the big boys and you want to be a big boy, then you better get back at work with the big boys the next day. Well, the trick was to drive to the job from the bar, put the, put the bar stools up, say bye to everybody, drive right to the job. Just kick the seat back. Like that's how you get the most sleep. And then you're there, right? And at least you know like someone's gonna bang on the window. Just tell I know you somebody there, like, that, that used to early. put I know somebody that used to put um tooth toothpaste and stuff in the ceiling at the bar. Like in oh, the in man. the above the ceiling. At the tiles. end of the night. <laughs> yeah. Like so you <laughs> go back in the morning. Oh, and they, yeah. <laughs> that lifestyle um, gets old, man. Like it's uh it's just you just keep doing it, you know, it's endless cycle. What made you, what made you stop that? What What was the, the tipping point where you were like, dude, too much. I can't do this anymore. What was I had? I was at my, uh, I was at my niece's like fourth birthday party or something. And there was no whiskey. I drank a, a handle of Sailor Jerry's at like my niece's fourth or fifth birthday party. And that's uh, disgusting. That was bad. It was like this, there was like, there was like this much, there was like this much left <laughs> in the bottle. And, uh, I got belligerent and like, so I just like, I always, I would have, I would do stupid things. And then I would wake up that next morning with that, like that deep regret of just like, I don't mm-hmm. really remember what I did, but I know it's like people pissed at me and then like, you know, whatever phone, drunk phone calls you made. Like you just, you'd wake up like with that regret. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I had tried, I had tried to quit a couple times and I just couldn't, it, uh, it, it never lasted. You know, I'd go like 30 days and I'd be like, Oh, I went 30 days. And then I would like, then I would like just binge drink like crazy. And then one time I had like four or five months under my belt. And then my best friend was getting married and I was the best man. And I wasn't going to uh, not throw the best, uh, the best bachelor party you've ever had in your life down in Atlantic city. So mm-hmm. we, 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 uh, we tore it up and then I drank for like another year after that. 
so finally like enough was enough and i think that i i never would tell when i was trying to quit like when i would do my little 30-day stints or whatever i'd never like tell anybody because i didn't want to be held accountable and so right. this time i started telling everybody i'm never drinking again and uh like most of us i'm a man of my word and i want to hold my word and so i just started telling everyone i'm never drinking again and then you would get like i was drinking everywhere i would out drink anywhere we went like I, I could drink i could drink 45 beers on halloween and be out camp giving candy you know mm -hmm. so for me to say i'm never drinking again it was always just like it was you could see the doubt on their face when i would say it you could right. feel the doubt in the room and so that i got um i got high off of that doubt man and i, I went i went with that and after after like the first few weeks well, I, I should start with at I crutch I crutched really hard at first with weed, mad weed, copious amounts of uh, extracts in the dab rig I'm sorry. torch. I'm, la I'm, la I'm laughing because <laughs> it's just been a long time since I, I'm not used to talking to people from Boston anymore. <laughs> the way you structure some sentences and the way the, way the words that you use it takes you back real quick. Even oh shit! Text, even when you text me. Um, so tons of weed, copious amounts, copious amounts of pot, man. Copious. Like, and, uh, and, and, and at that time, the dispensaries, like, we, so I have like, you can go outside and you can go outside and smell weed because there's, there's so many dispensaries now in Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. They're everywhere. Well, and especially up in Lawrence in, in and, like the Northern part of the state, right? That's kind of like, we got a lot, right? We got a lot. I'm in Fitchburg and there's a lot right in Fitchburg. There's one right near yeah. Great Wolf where I get off the highway and, uh, mm-hmm. So I was able to like, you're able to go in there, right? So I'm 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 fresh off the booze, right? I'm just just gonna go on the pot for a little bit. And you like, dude, I got a menu. There's like chocolates, there's gummies, there's yeah. so um that that helped that helped a lot to get you know to stop drinking a bottle of Jameson every day. I was drinking a liter of Jameson after work every night. Every night. Every night, dude. And if I if it wasn't a liter of Jameson, I I would have I would be drinking like at I would go to Sully's Tap. I was working right near the garden. Yeah. And so I'd go to Sully's Tap at like 11:45, put down four 16 ounce Bud Heavies for like two bucks. You get you mm -hmm. get the tall boys, and then I would get like four 24 ounce blueberry twisted teas and a and a and a 10 pack of blueberry Smirnoff nips. And that would be if I wasn't drinking a a, a liter of Jameson. So dude, it was it was right. bad. It was it was bad. A lot of, lot of drink. Everything I was drinking. If I was fishing, we were drinking. If we were on vacation, I was drinking. No matter what, we were snowboarding. I everything. Four wheeling. I mean, I, I think, I think a lot of people can uh, identify with that. I mean, I know I did. I 100% did. It used to be nothing for me to have 30 beers on my own. I remember one time two of my friends actually challenged me to that, that that I couldn't drink a 30 before they could together. Right. So me on two. And yeah, oh. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? I've done those and, too, and, with those challenges. And I, and I only lost by one, but like, <laughs> you know, in, in bachelor parties and my friends always want to go skiing and snowboarding. And, and for whatever reason, I didn't like it because I always thought that I would kill myself because I would, I, I knew I would drink too much uh, skiing and snowboarding. And you can go fast. Um, like I get on that snowboard and that's the other thing. I'd just be going fast, man. Oh, dude, my friends get bombed when they do it. And I'm like, dude, you, you guys are going to kill yourselves. Right into a tree. Um, right into a tree. Um, so, you know, I, I think a lot of people can identify with that. And it, so it doesn't sound like you did AA or anything. It was just you decided you were going to stop. You you announced it to everybody. 
you fed off of the negative energy and the doubt that people had, and then that was it. There was no uh, other. When I when I uh, when I told my father's truck, I had forced AA. I had six months of forced AA, mm. and that shit made me want to drink so bad, bro. Really? Like I would go. Yeah, I had like I had to go to drunk driving classes. I had to go to because uh, even though so I I blew the breathalyzer. I was uh, almost four times the limit. I um I pled guilty. So I have my I because I wanted to get my license back as soon as possible because I didn't want my um intoxicated mother driving me to work in, my, in one of my vehicles because that's how it was. My mom now I don't have a license I can't drive legally so now my mom has got the a bottle of vodka in the center console of my brand new Wrangler four door six speed and she's driving me dropping me off and need them she's driving an hour to pick drop me off and pick me up and no, I'm not? like uh so I I needed my license back ASAP and so to do that I had to plead guilty blow the breathalyzer i got my license back in 75 days and i uh, paid for that uh, tremendously on my insurance for the next 10 years I'm sure you um did. so i was able to i was able to just get my license back and that kind of started to get me back on track but man the dui was bad i forgot where i was going with that so i had asked you you know no aa which you went to force oh um, and so then, it was so, just announcing yourself and holding yourself accountable. Like that, that's what worked for you. That, that's, that's what did it. Yeah. And what, uh, and, and well, what also, also I had, uh, my two best friends had got over, um, you know, some serious, some serious drugs. I got mm. into the Percocets and then, uh, one of them into the, into the dope. So they both overcame that. And I was like, I had that, uh, on my back. Like there's no way that I can't kick this booze. If these guys can do this, like right. you're not supposed to be able to quit heroin. No, you know, so no, the, um, the relapse rate, the relapse rate's insane. Yeah, so that was it. That that uh, that also gave me some strength. And then like like the kids, man, and 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 my marriage, and then and my job. So, so like I is, was, what has being sober done for you there? I mean, better. You're on a different kind of high now with the way that you're able to operate and be a father and husband. Exponentially. Yeah, huge. You're just there, you know. I'm like not always having a beer in my hand or I run into the packy and just like w career took off. The the career yeah. took off, and obviously my wife didn't you know want me drunk every night. She was very, she was upset with yeah. that. Um, <laughs> I think anyone's yeah. wife would be. And then just you know being able to also. Um, so I guess he, there another factor was um, my uh, my uh, I got my U.S. Constitution right here. I don't know if you can see it because we're we're panned out, but um, I'm I'm real big on my rights and and particularly my uh, my my right to carry. And mm -hmm. I I wasn't I couldn't do that if I was drunk. That's totally illegal and that's very no. dangerous. Oh so, yeah, um, you're you're fucked if you're caught. <laughs> that. So that was that was another thing I want to be able to um, express that right and, ma and maybe carry a firearm around and like I'm, that's never going to happen if I'm drunk. So then it was always locked up and um, I wanted to be able. So what if like in the middle of the night I start I would start to think I started like getting these father as my son was getting older. I'm like, what if the house caught on fire and I'm shit faced? You know, like sometimes my wife wouldn't be able to wake me up. I'd just be passed out on the floor drunk. She would she couldn't wake me up if she tried. She would take videos. I wouldn't wake up. What if the house is on fire? What if there's a burglar? What if we have to evacuate? Like, what if there's an emergency? Like, and I'm just shit faced. Like, this is bad. I got to be able to protect my family. That was a big realization that I had. And that's why I actually don't feel comfortable. I mean, my drinking, I've cut down 99%. I, I maybe drink a couple times a year, if that now. Um, I got so drunk one night 
that I wouldn't have been able to protect my wife if something happened when we were out. Right. And fuck up things happen when you're out in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a realization that I think a lot of young guys need to have that we as men are responsible for protecting our kids, protecting our, our wives in any and all situation and whatever life throws at us. And if you're drunk and you can't handle it, I mean, that that's whatever happens is on you. Um, yeah, and that's well a harsh said. thing to harsh thing to to realize, um, and you don't really realize it until until you're there. And hopefully, not you know, reality doesn't slap you in the face. Talk about you. So, when you say your career took off, what kind of opportunities were opening up for you? Um, I think that I was just able to take more on. I was like for myself, be able to take more responsibility for things. And um, so when I when I first got into the union. When I was non, because when I was non-union, let's face it, I was drinking and I was uh, stri- I was still striving. I was climbing a ladder. Like there was not the drinking wasn't slowing me down. But I, when mm-hmm. I joined the union, that was um, they kind of got the carpet pulled out from under me. So I went from you know you know the kind of one of the top dogs to say foreman position, young. Uh, everyone I was working with was buddies. A lot of the guys were looking up to me. Now I joined the union. I come in through the back door. Um, that was like backdoor Bobby. So I'm in local 550. They were calling me 549. I would show up on Friday. Friday was is uh, you go out drinking on Thursdays back sometimes, and the Fridays would be breakfast. And so I would show up to the shack mm-hmm. on Fridays. It would be an empty shack. They would go to breakfast without me. Um, they so a lot of them didn't like the way that I was. I got into the local, but it it was their it was their org- organization that did it. Like I didn't come banging on their door. They came to my job, but yeah, right. a lot of them prior to me getting in you had you would have to repeat school like if you wanted to come in with your license and you were really good they would just say all right like repeat one last year of school even if you were doing it for 20 years or something you just redo one year of school and then you could be mm-hmm. in i just i didn't accept that offer i didn't like that offer um I, I didn't hear that offer and i didn't know that that was an offer that went out there so when i got in i was asked if i had to redo school and i said no what I would ever do that. Like I have a Massachusetts state license and that like rubbed people the wrong way. Cause in that room, there was people that had taken that offer allegedly in, yeah, the, in, right. in the past. So I had a target on my back at that first company that I went into. And at this time, my father was, um, you know, he was dying of cancer and he was struggling, but he was proud that I was in the union, but I didn't want to tell him that I, it was, it was kind of shittier than where I was, you know, like I was on high rises. I was doing like these crazy big jobs. That was awesome. But like the, the camaraderie wasn't like, wasn't there for me. Like I was, I was contemplating going back to where I was. Right. Um, but we were kind of already too far along for that. <clears throat> and so it was just like a lot of, a lot of drama to say, you know, and it was, it was tough fitting in. I'm sure it was. I think so I what's was, next? Uh, what, uh, what, what do you think is next for Bobby? I mean, you want to open up your own shop? Do you want to get bigger jobs? Do you want to go into management? What do you, what do you think? Um, I mean, so the place I'm at now, I, I ended up, I worked at that, at that place from, uh, 2014 to 2017. Mm-hmm. And I remember being on the Prudential, I was in Prudential center at like three 30 on 4th of July weekend. And like my wife and kid were already up at Winnipesaukee with all with my friends and everything. And I had to do that long trek and I called a buddy and this is another good thing about the union when you're in is that I was able to call a buddy who was at a different company. And I said, um, do you, are you guys, do you think you're hiring? And he said, yeah, we just, we just picked up a guy. Like maybe we could pick up one more. Can you call him and see if he'll, he'll put me on. And so he, then he texted me back. He said, yeah, leave him a voicemail. 
And so I was able to call the outside super where I am now, leave him a quick voicemail of my situation. He called me right back. And uh, I was able to start that next week. I, I, I called the previous company, tried to give my two weeks, but they wouldn't take it. Yeah. And uh, and so the, the, the guy that I was trying to get the job from, who I'm with now, he, he kind of told me that situation might happen. And he said, we'll take you in two weeks and we'll take you on Monday. And so then there I was. And uh, at that time, I was I was still drinking. And uh, I was drinking for a couple of years. I tried to quit. That was when I quit. I quit for like six months. And then I had the bachelor party. And then in 2019, I had uh, just an opportunity to be a foreman. I was just, I wanted to do a good job. I was working at, and now I'm working in, um, the jobs changed to where I was working in hospitals. And I was working with near patients. And uh, the first the first hospital job I did, we were at the, the labs for the Jimmy Fund. Mm-hmm. And so that that's the job that I quit on. Just wanted to be, I wanted to be the best that I could be, do this right. I was on like the top floor of the Jimmy Fund building. Like, I can't fuck, I can't fuck this up. And I knew that if I did good on that one, I'd kind of be able to be a hospital guy. This is what everybody talks about. And you industry. didn't quit your job. You quit drinking. I quit drinking. Yeah. yeah. I quit drinking okay. on that job. <laughs> yeah. <Sorry>. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's no, not so like on... you went to the Jimmy fund and you were like, fuck this. I quit. No, no. <laughs> I was on that job and it was just like it, it, you know, I felt like I should. I went from being a number two guy to where now that guy got pulled off and now I was the guy I got left to finish the job. It was like my first one with this company. I just wanted to do good. I quit drinking and um, and I've just been doing better since. I kind of been in the hospital since that job. Hmm. How do you Which like hospitals in, compared to everything else? Like, what's different about it other than, you know, maybe the atmosphere and the purpose that you're serving? A lot more thinking. There's a lot more thinking involved. A lot more planning. Um, it's not. I'd like to say it's not as back. It's not as backbreaking. If you were on like a big, if you were on like a big build, say. Hmm. And if you were like right now, we have jobs in the seaport. Like, imagine working in the seaport right now in an open structure. So, this is a huge point. To, and when people think construction, they think that everything's like new buildings. It's not always new buildings. It's not always new buildings. <laughs> Every, a lot of us are indoors. Like, no, there's a hundred million. There's a hundred million structures, commercial structures in the country right now. They all need to be renovated. Move small moves, adds changes. <laughs> this some of these skyscrapers in Boston, and people don't want to hear it. Some of these floors are riddled with asbestos. They shut the whole floor down. They demo it all the way down to the studs. Like you're talking about a 50, yeah. 60 story building. They'll mm-hmm. redo the entire floor. If you do that, that that could that would take a year. That would take a year. Yeah. You put you put forty to a hundred people to work for a year, yeah. and that's one floor in one building. And it's probably not even the building owner. It's probably just someone that wants to rent that floor out and put their firm there or something it's funny. there's so I, much I, work to be had i was just talking to somebody before this i did a coaching call for a kid that's thinking about going into hvac and i explained that to him he thinks that being a gc will allow him to jump from job to job and have because he wants a scenery change frequently i'm like dude they're there the longest. Wanna, yeah we're, we're there the longest and i have to deal with all kinds of crap that i wish i didn't have to deal with i would love to go back into the mep world and not talk about carpet and paint Trust me, I would love to. <laughs> and and I was just explaining to him, like, you know, you want to go into HVAC or sprinkler or electrical or plumbing. You're on there for a couple of days or a couple of weeks at a time. You're on to the next one. You're on to the next one. You're on to the next one. Your scenery is changing all the time. It's, Especially it's, as like. As, and you're out of the weather. Like if you're on an interior renovation, you are out of the weather. 
And if you're on uh, if you're on a job that's open, my trick is always you got to make friends with the fireproofers, man. <clears throat> the guys that are spraying the beams. Mm, why? Um, so we we did a couple cold jobs, and to spray those beams, that whole mixture is mostly water. So they mm-hmm. tarp the floor. They'll tarp two or three floors. They'll mm-hmm. put they'll put heat in there. So if you're okay with having shitty outfits covered with that stuff, your boots are all caked up, but you are now enclosed in his little area, they'll usually yeah. let you. And yeah. uh, that's how you can somehow beat the cold. But that's probably that's probably the worst part of doing construction in New England. You're gonna have it. You're gonna have a job. I I did um, on one Canal Street. It was the coldest coldest job of my life. Oh, yeah. We were pushing. We were pushing the ladder through. Uh, my first step was under snow. Snow was sideways. You were just pushing the ladder through the snow. It was like zero degrees, and it was like that, like the whole winter. It was the coldest when, winter when ever. When was that job? That was a couple of years ago. That, that was, was probably ago. in. That was probably in fifteen. Yeah. Oh yeah. That was. Oh, I was Jesus. drinking during those. 15, yeah, I was just gonna say that's. Sully's tap is, is about yeah. a block and a half away. Oh yeah, Sully's tap was frequented at <laughs> that job. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, that was a cold one, man. I'll remember that as like the coldest job that I ever worked on. Listen, I've I've done interiors, you know, predominantly for my career, and I wouldn't change it for the world because number one, you're out of the weather. Number two, the jobs are shorter, right? So. Listen, we all love our clients, right? That's how we all make money. But if you have a client that sucks or a design team that sucks or a sub team that sucks, or maybe you don't like your own team, you're not stuck with them for three or four years as a GC on a major job. In and out. Uh, and on the interior, you're 12 to 24 weeks typically, maybe a year at the most. And you're out on the next one. You're on to the next one. Also, you're building a network, right? Like you said, you got to, when you wanted a new job, you knew people to call, right? Every job you touch, that's a different design team. That's a different a field team that's different trades that you're going to work with. There's a tremendous benefit to having a growing network. And in my opinion, the interior renovation world, although it's less sexy to you know people that want to get into the industry, is there's way more upside to it, in my opinion. Um, I don't a know lot of sprinkler work? Way, but, uh, on every job. Every job, yeah. Every job, every job. That's, I mean, that's what I'm doing. I'm doing all interior, like... I, I did I was put in charge during um, the beginning of the of the the little sickness thing that we just went through um, in 2020 I was put in charge of a full uh, 400,000 square foot hospital build ground up I went there yeah. before they even started digging and I was there till the very last discussion I'm still I'm still there at 4600 sprinkler heads and that was at times cold and but because of that, and because I think I stepped up to the plate, I was able to earn a van spot. And now I just go and do those little, like you're saying, interior ones where it's like 40 heads, mm-hmm. 10 heads, two heads, 50 heads. Or we go over here and we put up a temp standpipe or, you know, you're doing, yeah. you're doing things it's, where the van is because there's not tools there. Whereas if your job site has tools, you don't need a van guy. Um, interior renovations. Good way to go. Uh, sometime, but to your point, sometimes you got you to gotta bite the bullet and you got to suck it up. And you got to take an opportunity to make a name for yourself. And when you do that, you know, a lot of guys say that if you just put in a good five hard years of work, uh, you make a reputation for yourself and then you do whatever the hell you want. <laughs> That's kind of true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so before we wrap it up, I want you to brag about your platform and what you're able to build. I love pointing out to young people, the construction influencer world. Um, your following is growing super fast. I think I started following you. You maybe had one or 2000 followers. Now you got like 20,000 followers. It's going dope and tape podcast. 
um, talk about your platform and what you've been able to do, what kind of traffic you've been able to generate as a, as an influencer. Uh, so we'll take it back to, I graduated from Lemister high school in 2008. And then I was able to do construction in Lemister high school in 2011. I did that till mm-hmm. 2013. I got Instagram in 2012 and you can go all the way back on my page and see the manifold and the valve station that I built at Lemister high school from 2012. That's how long I've been posting on this platform. And, um, the problem with it was that I was, I was drinking the whole time and I might've been pl- posting too much of my opinion and a lot of political stuff. It never grew mm-hmm. until I finally just, I had the realization once I, once I had a sober mind, I said, I'm going to grow this thing. No political none of my opinion it's going to only be fire protection because at the time there was one page it's sprinkler life you got you got to shout him out he's got i got his hat right here um so i noticed that anytime i tagged him he would share me to his page this guy had like ten thousand followers at the time he would share me and so i just started doing that every day i would put something sprinkler i would share him and then i then they came out with reels i started making reels Mm -hmm. and i just started to get some traction i got like a thousand followers i started meeting people like you and I was just, I seen the plumbers out there, man. I seen the electricians. I seen the tin knockers and the carpenters and the landscape guys and the trucking industry. I'm like, where are all the sprinkler fitters on this damn app? I know they're there. I'm just going to start flooding this app with everything that I do every day. And, and it's been working. And in that, I met Brian Williams from Atlanta. And right. we got invited on a podcast. And after that, we were, I was like, I was streaming video games. I wouldn't have anybody watching, but I was streaming video games, so I knew how to stream. And mm-hmm. I, I literally was like, why don't I just, why don't we do a Zoom call and we'll just go live? I could stream it and we'll talk about work. And everyone was like, you can talk about work? How's that going to So now we have 108 episodes of Dope and Tape Podcast. It's actually the Dope and Tape live show. We go live every Tuesday and Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And we talk to mostly fire protection professionals, engineers, design guys, fire alarm, inspectors, nice set people, fitters. 108 episodes is probably 100 people, 100 different people that are in within the industry. But we've had people like yourself. Um, I don't know if you're yep. familiar with Joe Kelly from Mass Construction. We, we've had um, electricians and plumbers. So we'll have other people from the industry. But basically, we just talk for an hour about work. And it's uh, it's getting views. And now it's getting us sponsorships to go to trade shows. We were at NFPA in 2023. We were also at AFSA in 2023. We're going to both of those this year. We'll be at NFPA in June in Orlando will be at AFSA in Denver in September. <clears throat> and those are sponsored because of the, the dope and tape show that we started. And really my, the Instagram platform, I'm kind of just trying to funnel people there and just trying to build a community of, of sprinkler fitters. They, the sprinkler fitters had nowhere to go. Right. They were following the plumbing pages and they were following any, but now, man, I got to tell you well, one thing that I loved about being on your show uh, was the live interaction. Right. Like you guys have people actively messaging you, whether it's Canada or the US, all over the place. And they're commenting um, live on the show. And that, like, that uh, yeah. is a wicked cool aspect. So because you could be watching on Facebook, Twitch or YouTube mm-hmm. and then I, you could see the comments I, and I read them live. So they ask the guest questions and they and they respond. And a lot of people pick on Brian because he's he's from Georgia. So that was another yeah. thing is that he is a. Uh, probably one of the best sales guys, fire sprinkler sales guys in the country, maybe in the world, uh, as far as selling inspections and selling jobs, he's, he's, he's the best. And he mm-hmm. also is second generation inspector. Now I'm third generation fitter install mm-hmm. guy. Um, I feel like if we had a, if we had some kind of head to head install, 
or piping heads or trimming a valve or something like that, I, I feel like I could, I'm getting the gold medal every time at, <laughs> and, at that competition. Yeah. And so together he knows all the sales and all the inspections and I know whole fitter thing. And we kind of make a great team to interview someone from our industry hmm. and, it, and it's, it's really taken off. Yeah. I mean, listen, first of all, your Instagram, if you want a glimpse into what it is to be a, a sprinkle fitter, uh, or into the industry in general, I, I genuinely don't think that there is a better person out there to follow. Um, you put up more content, quality content, diverse content for what you're doing every day. Um, it's awesome to follow. And if you wanted to go catch that live show, um, it goes up on YouTube, right? Yep. YouTube. We're going live tomorrow night at 9 PM Eastern. So tomorrow night, um, well, dope and tape. I'm, I'm not going to post this till next week, but it's on Tuesdays and Thursdays. You said, yeah, uh, dope and tape live show or podcast. What do you type into the search engine? You could just type Google. You could go to Google, type in dope and tape. You'll see it. But if you go to YouTube, type in dope and tape or Twitch or Facebook, you'll find us. And if you want to find me on Instagram, it's blue collar Bobby. Same thing on TikTok. I'm not as, um, active on TikTok, but I'm trying. Yeah. It just, I struggle with it. It just doesn't appeal to me. It's just not something I gravitate towards. I don't gravitate towards LinkedIn either. Uh, linked, I'm work. I'm on LinkedIn. And the thing about LinkedIn is, I just um, if my videos do good on Instagram, I save it and I put it on LinkedIn. And like nobody's doing that. You don't mm -hmm. go on LinkedIn and see like the Instagram style videos that I'm putting. So I do it, and it's like I don't know, it's different. So it gets it gets some attention. I'll get like uh, what is it called on LinkedIn? Interactions. Mm. Get like a bunch of interactions from a video like that. Yeah. But it's fun. It's a hobby. And I think that uh, when I quit drinking is then that's when my social media was. A lot of these things took off in my life when I got sober. I agree, man. I, I think I was so pissed off for a lot of reasons at the world. My life mistakes that I made in 2020, I kind of came to the same realization. Um, and the more the more I didn't drink, the more I didn't drink. <laughs> when I used to be the opposite, the more I it's like the country song, the more I drink, the more I drink. Mm. Um <laughs> the more productive I am, the more I'm able to do things like this, like this show. One of these days I'll, I'll talk about, you know, the opportunities that have come out of me doing this show on the platform. Um, you know, I have, I have some pretty important people, uh, that sign my paychecks to follow. <laughs> uh, oh, that's pretty and, cool. and it's, it's put me on, on some people's radar. Um, Say, same for us, man, you're getting out there and you're just putting your, your name out there and people that are in your industry and pertain to what you do, they see you. I mean, yeah, I think, good. you know, I've said, I've said this before, but it's like when you, when you have a light and you shine that light, a few things are going to happen. Number one, darkness is going to go away. Right. And if you're not drinking, then you have the ability to shine that light, that darkness that comes from drinking is going to go. When, when you were shining that light, people can see you. Right. And people either need that for inspiration or they need that value that all of a sudden they realize that you're bringing that they didn't know what was there before. Right. So there's people around the world now that know Bobby and Brian from the from dope and tape that otherwise they, they wouldn't have known you just the people that would have been on your job sites would have known you you know and, uh, and there's a have there's you been, a have, you been seen, have you been seen in public i appreciate that have you been seen in public i have i have and somebody like, and like called out <laughs> not no so people that have seen me uh don't approach me they, they dm me and i'm like oh like a photo like, or they dude, just say like oh i just seen you yeah, they're like, oh, like, do you live in Florida? Uh, were you just at Home Depot? And I'm like, yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, dude, come say, say hi. hi. <laughs> yeah. 
Have I was waiting seen? for it. I was waiting for a GC. I was sitting out front of a building in the van. I was waiting for a GC and this guy's coming up. You know, he looks like a, like your typical guy, like just got out of Wentworth and he's coming to, you know, manage yeah. me. And so I, I jump out to shake his hand. I think we're going to walk into the building and he's like, blue collar, Bobby, I follow you on Instagram, man. I'm a huge fan. I was like, <laughs> that was the first time ever. I was so yeah. taken aback. I was like, it, yeah, it was probably like from his standpoint, he probably thought I was like an asshole. Like, I didn't know what to say. Like, I thought you were the super, like, oh, nice to meet you. Thank you so much. Let me give you some stickers. But then when I, the, when I traveled to AFSA just recently in Orlando, like people would be yelling my name. I don't like, I don't, I don't even know where it's coming from. I don't know where it's coming from or who's yelling That's it, awesome. but it's like, it's, it's, it's weird. It's, it's, uh, it's cool. It's weird. I'm thinking about going up to a trade show in Providence in March. Um, yeah. I forget what it's called. I'll but, meet you. Yeah. I'll let I'll let you know when I'm coming. I think it's March twentieth to the twenty second. It's like Wednesday through Thursday. Uh yeah, let so me I'm know. gonna find I'll, a, I'll meet you there. I'm probably gonna find a reason to come up. My is office it an expo? is down, it's something expo, yeah. Um yeah, let me know. My, my my office is downtown. So I, I was either gonna hop on the train or try and get a ride for somebody down to Providence and then maybe fly back to Florida from from Providence or something. So So we're coming to Orlando in June. Yeah, let me know. I might I might be up for that. Um depending on so I, I have a daughter coming in at the end of April, beginning of May. And as long as everything's kosher there, um I'll be uh I'll be down to go. Awesome. My wife had yeah. a tough recovery last time. So hopefully yeah. my only comes up to about here on me i'm i'm like i'm like six three two twenty she's about arguably four eleven a hundred and five oh pounds smoking wet so yeah, my wife <laughs> doesn't do good in labor either yeah yeah i don't know Scary. if there's gonna be another one after this but we'll see <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think so i think we're done too two is two is it um well all right man i i appreciate you coming on uh i think tremendous amount of value here again go follow blue collar bobby uh, one of the best out there if you want to glimpse into the industry and, and what it's like and what people actually do, especially for one of the trades uh, that pays the best no matter what market you're in. But again, that number for a foreman in Boston is 144 grand a year. That is an incredible number. And if you're not a foreman, it's 136 grand a year. So if that if that's an opportunity uh, that interests you, go on Google, call up the shops, try and get into a van, uh, sign up in June. And if you're interested in any other any other trade, um, get vigilant, get online, find out when the signups are. And uh, Bobby, you got anything else? If you, if you were trying to get into the sprinkler industry and you need some help, DM me on Instagram, Blue Collar Bobby. I'd be happy to help you. And if you could please go and subscribe to the Dope and Tape Show on YouTube, we'd greatly appreciate it. All right, man. Well said. I appreciate it, Bobby. Thank you.